Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests that I bring you here every week on the show, Guys Guys Radio. And we've got a great show for you today. Our special guest is Neil Donald Walsh, the iconic spiritual messenger and author of the series Conversations with God. He's written 39 books, and they've been translated into over 30 languages. If you haven't read Conversations with God and you have any interest in spirituality or looking at things beyond yourself, if you will, and learning how to go inside, I highly recommend Conversations with God. The series is wonderful. It's really about uh, Neil's own personal experiences when he was really, really, really down on his luck, and uh, God started to speak to him, and he started to write things down, and he started to ask questions, and he started to get answers, and it's just a really amazing, wonderful story, and Neil is a really terrific guy. He's a real guy's guy, and he's a true spiritual messenger, and he's here to help, and we have a wonderful discussion coming up about his new book, The God Solution, which is all about what we need today, which is really seeing the world and seeing our day-to-day actions through a lens of pure love and, quote-unquote, what would love do. So Neil Donald Walsh is our special guest on today's show. So what's been going on out there? Well, if you look at any place on the news, it's all about insurrections, rioting in the Capitol, and uh, still the fallout from the election. I'm not going to get into all the details on all that stuff because you can pick up every type of information from every side of the fence uh, through any type of media that's out there. I will say this. Uh, one, it's time for everybody on any side just to look inside and say, is what I'm thinking right? Is what the other folks thinking have some merit? What is causing this deep division in our country? What has triggered people to go to such lengths to express their pain, if you will? Not, I'm not excusing anything, but what is it that's driving people to really get this riled up? And you can't just say, oh, one man did the whole thing. You have to really say, what is it about what's going on in this country that is making so many people feel disenfranchised and not represented? And that's, that's the real problem that we have right now, that people aren't feeling connected with the country and with each other, and we've got to get past that. The one thing that's most troubling to me about last week, obviously the insurrection itself was an embarrassment, it was horrible, and people lost their lives, but... What, how did these folks get into the Capitol, storm the Capitol so easily? Why were there no uh, officers on horseback? Why were there no helicopters overhead? Why was there no, it seems like there was no planning about how to handle this, that anybody can just get a big group of people together and just storm the Capitol. It's like, really? And my understanding is the Capitol is a pretty complex uh, building that you really have to know where to go to uh, find different things in there, different rooms and such. And it seemed like the people coming in, they knew exactly what they were doing and where they were going. So very troubling, and I think it's going to take some time to get to the bottom of all this, but it is not a good situation. And I think each one of us, again, needs to look inside and say, hey, what do I really feel about all of this stuff? What is the other side saying? Can I empathize with what's going on? And it's really, there's a lot of pain out there. So I would ask you just to consider all of that. So Guys Guys Radio, our very special guest today, 
spiritual messenger, iconic author, Neil Donald Walsh. I can't wait to talk to him, so let's get into it right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, we've got a very special show and a very special guest on Guy's Guy's Radio. One of my uh, great spiritual influences, uh, a wonderful messenger for humanity, Neil Donald Walsh. Let me tell you a little bit about Neil and my experience with him in that I, I stumbled upon the book Conversations with God in the bookstore one time, and I picked it up and I read it, and it, it changed how I viewed everything in a, in a really good way, although I had to process some of the different ways I was going to be viewing spirit and my relationship with spirit but it turned out to be a really good thing once I kind of grasped that. So I'm so pleased that Neil's going to be on our show again today. He came on our show about a year or so to talk about his book, The Essential Path. And Neil was one of my first big guests on the show. And since then, as you know, Guys Guys Radio has really taken off. So I, I attribute a lot of that to just that special connection there. And uh, Neil's just a wonderful guy. So let me tell you a little bit about him. He's written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life. Seven of the nine books in his Conversations with God series made the New York Times bestseller list. Book one, the iconic book one, Conversations with God, remained on the list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 languages. Neil is also the creator of CWG Connect, a global online platform that connects people who wish to more deeply explore the messages in the Conversations with God body of work. His latest book is called The God Solution. It just came out in December, and you can reach Neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. We'll get into that later. Um, but first of all, Happy New Year, and welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Neil Donald Walsh. Well, thank you, uh, Robert. It's very sweet of you to say all those kind things about me, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share some time with you. Well, thank you so much. And everything I said is true. You've been a great influence and your connection with spirit has helped so many people around the world. And it's really helped me personally and helped my work because I really now see what I'm doing uh, in a form of service instead of just ego. And it's really helped me and it's helped me grow because I've also learned how to receive where I really spent a lot of my life chasing things. And now I'm all about receiving. And I got a lot of these things out of just unfolded out of really reading conversations with God. So thank you once again for our, for our listeners out there who are not that familiar with uh, Neil Donald Walsh. Let's start at the very beginning. Neil was also a radio guy and uh, successful. And he kind of went down on his luck and he had a, uh, a major injury and led to an operation. He was wearing a Philadelphia collar around his neck and just everything was going wrong, one thing after another. So what I want to start our conversation with, Neil, is just let's get into um, how the whole thing begin to you when you first heard the voice of spirit in your mind. Well, I was uh, sitting in my little apartment. I had been, interestingly enough, I was uh, doing uh, some radio work. But as it happened, you know, there was an economic downturn at that particular network. And I went to work one day and the place was in bankruptcy. And I, and I, so I, went, I had no, no more income and no more job just that fast. And that was a sudden change. I wasn't worried. I could probably find another job in broadcasting somewhere. But for the moment, I was in trouble. Then I had that car accident you talked about right after that. And I broke my neck. 
And now I couldn't even sit upright for hours on end because of my broken neck. I couldn't support it. To make a long story very short, I woke up one night in the middle of the night, out of work, having experienced the failure of my personal relationship with my significant other, having experienced not only the economic downturn, but also a downturn in my health. So I finally called out, you know, one, one morning in the middle of the night to God, what does it take to make life work? I don't get it. What's going on? Obviously, there's something I don't know here, something I don't understand, the understanding of which would change everything. So, you know, what's, what's up? And I remember finding a yellow legal pad on the coffee table in front of me, and I started writing a very angry letter to God in, in which I asked those questions. And that's when I really experienced God, uh, God's presence, if I could put it that way, and energetic. I, I could have sworn I heard, I heard a voice over my right shoulder that actually said, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? And I wrote down on my yellow legal pad, I am venting, and it sure as hell like to know what the answers are. If you've got them, and I heard an answer in my mind, the voice kind of moved into my head, and the answer said, you are sure as hell, but wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? A little quip, you know, from beyond. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here? But I, but, but I said, you know, if you've got answers, please give them to me. And, and, and uh, then I began receiving answers to the questions that I was asking, those aggravated questions, those angry inquiries. Uh, and I was writing, I wrote down everything that I was hearing in my head. I, I'm often asked, what did the voice sound like? It sounded like the voice of one's own thoughts, kind of a voiceless voice, but, but, I, but very clear uh, in what it was uh, transmitting, if you please, to me. So I was writing everything down that I was hearing in my head, like one would take dictation, very much like taking dictation. I'm writing as fast as I can. And finally, at one point, I said, why me? Why, why am I being chosen to, if I could put it this way, receive this information? And the response I got was, no, no, I'm talking to everyone, everyone, all the time. The question is not, to whom am I talking? The question is, who's listening? And from that point on, I kept, I kept on having this, uh, this back and forth uh, handwritten dialogue. Now, let me add to this, if I could, Robert, please. Sure. I never thought in a million years that anyone would ever see this. I wasn't sitting down to try to write a book. I was having a very personal and very private, I almost want to use the word sacred, personal experience. Personal, I considered it a sacred personal spiritual experience. I, I never imagined that anyone would see what I was writing on this yellow legal pad. But at one point in this back and forth process, I was told, you will make of this one day a book. And it will be uh, read, uh, made available to many, many people. And I thought, I remember thinking, <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, I, I can just see some publishers saying, we got to get this book out immediately. This guy's talking <laughs> to God. But you know what? I did, in fact, decide to send it to a publisher because my, my mind said, here's a way that I can verify what I am hearing. Because most of what I was receiving, if I could use that word again, sure. most of what was coming to me was largely conceptual in nature, you know, metaphysical concepts, you know, theories, ideas, but nothing that one could measure. It could either be or it could not be, who knows? But here was a statement of fact. You will make of this one day a book and it will be read by many people. And I thought, ah, well, we'll see about that. So I did, in fact, 
have my handwritten notes uh, uh, typed up and sent to a, a publisher. I picked, looked at a few publishers uh, of spiritual books at the bookstore, and I sent it to a couple. And by golly, if one of those publishers didn't uh, call me and say, we want to we want to put this into print. And the rest, as they say, is publishing history. Yeah. But yeah. that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the voice in your head, and you said I think it was behind your right shoulder one time you mentioned that. Um, was it male? Was it female? Was it an actual voice? Was it a knowing? How did you experience that? Well, I, I, I could have sworn that I heard a voice over my right shoulder say, you know, one thing to me, Neil, as I, as I just described. Do you really want answers to all of these questions? You know, I, I, I guess it sounded like almost like my own voice or at least a, a kindly male voice. Um, but, but I would have a hard time describing it because I wasn't paying that much attention at the time until after it happened. And then it was too late to, to go into my past and try to recreate what that sounded like. As soon as the voice, as soon as that experience moved into my mind, which was almost immediately, as I said a minute ago, it took on the characteristic of a voiceless voice. Like when you hear your own thoughts, like when your mind is talking to you and you hear your own mind. Did, uh, what was your relationship with spirit like prior to this uh, incident, if you will? You know, I, I've always, uh, most of my life, believed in an entity that I call in my cosmology, God. Uh, I, I, I've always thought there was such a thing as God, but I didn't have much of a construction around that. Uh, from the time I left my childhood religion, I was born and raised in a Roman Catholic family, but I left that religious um, environment I left, I was no longer part of that whole milieu uh, when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And I, I, I kind of like put religion aside and didn't give it much thought in, in my life after that. I had some intellectual excursions in my mid-20s, reading a few books on other religions as well. I wanted to know more about, you know, Protestantism and Judaism and the Muslim faith and other faiths and Buddhism and what, what's this all about. But more was more of an intellectual searching. So to answer your question directly, at the time this was occurring in my life, and I, I should explain to people that what happened was I had an automobile accident in which I broke my neck. And that broken neck put me completely out of work. Uh, and that left me destitute. I wound up living on the street after a while because I couldn't work anywhere. And I ran out of, you know, my income was gone. And the insurance company took three and a half years to settle with me for the car accident that caused the uh, the broken neck. An old gentleman just turned his car right into me, and it was everyone agreed it was his fault. The police said it was his fault. The the police report said it was clearly his fault. He acknowledged that he made a mistake, but the insurance company didn't care. It took him three and a half years right. to come up with a payment. So that put me on the street. The reason I told that story, Robert, is that put me on the sidewalk. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't pay my rent. And finally, I was thrown out of my apartment by my landlord. And I wound up living on the sidewalk, not for a couple of bad weeks or a couple of tough months, but for an entire year of my life, two weeks shy of one year. I was out there on the sidewalk, no income, no job, no way of producing the, and the necessities of life, even food. I didn't know when I woke up one day whether I'd be eating that day. So I was reduced to walking down the street as a street person with my hand out, asking people, would you have a couple of coins, maybe even a tiny bit of folding money that you could help me with because I've had a string of rough luck and I don't, I don't know how I'm going to eat today. 
And I existed that way for a year of my life. When I got off the sidewalk, finally back into the stream of things, that's when I had this experience I've been describing to you because I returned to the so-called world of work. Uh, I got a father job back into in, in broadcasting. Uh, and But I, I realized that the life was this vacuous experience. And I remember thinking, is this all there is? I mean, is this really it? Or, you know, what is the missing piece of data? And that's what caused me to have what I've referred to as my conversation with God. From your time living on the street, what was the one takeaway looking back now that you would take from that about, you know, your interaction with humanity? And what was the greatest lesson you learned from that experience? That there are some wonderful people in the world and some people who are not letting what's wonderful about them show through that, that it takes all kinds, I guess. Uh, and, and that people can be unbelievably uh, insensitive and cruel and, and other people can be incredibly, incredibly kind and generous. I remember one man actually reached into his, this happened only once, of course, but I remember it vividly. He reached into his wallet and he said, look, you know, take this. He handed me a $100 bill. Wow. He had several hundreds in his, in his pocket, in his wallet. I guess he was doing well in his life. And he just picked, pulled one out and gave it to me. By the way, I got a, a little interesting story around that. Please. Try to try to cash a hundred dollar bill when you haven't had it when you haven't had a, a bath in six months and your hair is as long as the middle of your back and you're obviously a street person. No one will even let you cash the money. They think you stole it or found right. it, some, you know, or, or ripped it off from somebody. So you can't even get the hundred dollar bill cash. I finally had to go to a bank and say, "Look, I'm a street person. A man just gave this to me. Could you please break this down into some smaller bills so that I could buy a hamburger at McDonald's?" And the, the wow. teller, the teller had some pity on me. He saw that I was probably telling the truth, and he broke it. He broke it down into fives and tens. And I was able to eat that day. Wow. Interesting story. Mm. Now, the greatest takeaway that always sticks with me that I got out of conversations with God was, uh, and it was a real life game changer, and that was that God experiences itself through us versus the separation that most people feel. And there is a comfort, I think, for a lot of people that, okay, God is this, you know, the guy with the beard in the sky and I'm here and therefore I can go to God and ask for, you know, petition the Lord with prayer, if you will. And it doesn't seem to really work that way. So getting towards the God solution now, let's like kind of turn that way. Um, could you explain to our listeners, what does that mean that God experiences itself through us and why that's actually a really good thing? Well, there's only one thing. I was told this in what became uh, the, the first book in the Conversations with God series. I was told all things are one thing. There's only one thing. And all things are part of the one thing there is. And that one thing is an energetic. It's uh, the prime source, if you please, the primal energy. It's an energetic expression uh, that, that I have come to call God and that many people refer to as the higher power, if you please. Uh, and But what the problem is, is that there are 4,300 religions on the face of the earth. And although, by the way, anthropological studies have shown in the past 25 years that eight out of 10 people believe that there is some sort of controlling power. There's some sort of higher power. So interestingly enough, there's an irony here. Eight out of 10 of us believe in a God that we can't agree about. We, we can't get together and come to one single thought or one single idea 
about who and what God is. Although we do think there is something out there that's larger than us. It was a perfect segue into your new book, The God Solution, because so many people uh, you know, believe in a higher power, but they have many different uh, definitions as to what that higher power is. And you have boiled it down to the essence of energy and what you define as pure love. It's a feeling. See, I, I've, I've, I said, you know what we need to do on this planet? We, if we want to really straighten things out and, and get our civilization moving in a direction that starts to finally make some sense, what we need to do is come up with a common definition, of perhaps a brand new definition of God, a definition of God that every religion and every culture that, frankly, every person could agree with, a simple definition that nobody could really disagree with. And, and so I propose, I call this the God solution, and I proposed as the God solution, let's redefine God in, in an interesting way. Let's say that God is an energy, and let's say that that energy is a feeling. Let's call God a feeling. God is an energy that can be felt by sentient beings throughout the cosmos. And that feeling can be described. And I've described it in two words. I call that feeling pure love. We all know when we have felt pure love, and we all know when we have projected pure love into the universe. A simple example, Robert, if I could just help people understand what I'm talking about. There are very few people who haven't at least once in their life held a small child, a baby, in their arms. If you've been lucky enough to have it be your own child, that's a singular experience. But even if it's the child of a good friend or, or, or a relative, you're holding that baby in your arms. And in that moment, you probably have felt pure love. The baby is three hours old or three days old or three weeks old or three months old. And you're holding this darling, darling child in your arms. And you realize, I need nothing from this entity. I want nothing. I require nothing. I ask for nothing. And I certainly demand nothing. I simply adore I just adore this being. And I want to suggest to you that that's a sense of pure love that everyone has experienced flowing through them at least once or twice in their life, maybe toward a, a pet, a, a horse that they own, or that they fall in love with, or a dog or a cat, or, or another, if they're lucky, another human being that they feel that way toward. And what I mean by lucky, I mean if you love another human being in a way that lets them know, hey, you know what? I need, ask for, expect, and demand nothing in return from you. I just love you because you're over there on the other side of the room. And I love you for who you are. I see who you are. If you give me nothing back, I see who you are. And I love you without needing anything in return. That's, I believe, the way God loves us. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if we could get every of the world's every one of the world's religions to agree that that is in fact the ultimate definition of love and the ultimate definition of God. If we did, Robert, we would form the basis of a whole new global ethic because here's what I notice on this planet. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much and going no, on please. too long, but here's what I notice on this planet. The human species in large numbers, not exclusively, not everybody, but in large numbers, the human species tends to create its behaviors, make its choices and decisions based on a model that they hold about this higher power they've heard about. Right. 
That is, they act as if they, as if they uh, have understood the way to be a good human based on what their God has told them and based on how God acts. But if we believe in a God who is judgmental, who's not just judgmental, but who's punishing, who's not just punishing, but who's condemning, and who is not only condemning, but who is violent in that God sends us to a place of everlasting you know, uh, torture, actual physical torture. If that's the God we believe in, we're going to feel justified in responding in exactly the same way to other human beings on earth. We're going to do crazy stuff. For instance, as an example, we will kill people in the name of the state. We'll have the state government kill people as a way of showing people that killing people is not okay. We call that capital punishment. Right. And we fail to see the obvious that's contradiction. Crazy. Exactly. And, you know, and and we, we 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 so we love people conditionally, you know. You, I'm sorry, I can't give you this marriage license. I'd be happy to to give you this marriage license. It's my job as clerk of the court to give you marriage licenses. But you you are the two people of the same sex, and so I can't give you the marriage license. Sorry. Oh, by the way, you'll also find out that you can't rent a certain apartment because you're of the same gender. So, because this is this is how we love you. This is this is how this is how we express love. And in some cultures, you can't even drive a car or go to school. You're not allowed to go to school because you're not male. You're a female. I'm so sorry, but it's a loving thing. We're doing it out of our love for you. Right. We're trying to protect you. So you know, this is the so we we have demonstrably behaved in certain ways on this planet based on the judgmental way that we believe God behaves with us. Now, if we changed our idea about that, and if we said that God does not behave with us in that way, that God loves us purely, demanding, needing, requiring nothing in return, we would create a whole new ethical basis for our own interactions with each other. We would have a new model upon which to base our behaviors, a model that could be applied to our political, our social, our economic, and of course, our spiritual interactions with each other. I call that the God solution. And I explain it in great detail in the book of the same title. And it's a terrific book. Neil Donald Walsh is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. Let's go deeper into pure love. Um, you suggest in the book that uh, the way to look at different situations is to ask yourself, is pure love being expressed? And that's kind of the filter. I always say there's not enough love in the world when people ask me about any type of, you know, same-sex marriage or this or that. To me, it's always, there's not enough love, anything we can do for love. So I guess I've been on the right track there. But how can all of us um, use this filter of pure love in terms of uh, determining how we respond to every situation? Well, by asking that magic question, I was given that question and I put it in the book. And I invite people to ask, in fact, that precise question. When you're considering saying something about anything, when you're considering responding to any particular circumstance, situation, or event in your life, when you're considering how you choose to show up and be in the world in any particular moment, that train yourself to simply ask a question. Is what I'm about to say, or does what I'm about to do, feel like an expression of pure love? 
And I, I use examples uh, that I gave you a minute ago uh, to demonstrate how, that, how effective, how powerful such a question can be. Does killing a person by putting him in a chair and strapping him in a chair and sending 5,000 volts of electricity through his body, does that feel like an expression of pure love? Even though you think he has it coming because he needs to be punished, but does that particular form of punishment feel like pure love? You know, or that, that, that particular response by society and all the other examples I gave you as well. Mm -hmm. Does it feel like pure love yeah. when we say to a person, I'm sorry, you're male. I mean, I'm sorry, you're female, which is worse. I, I'm sorry that you're female. So you can't drive in this society. And we can't even allow you to go to school as a child because you don't have a penis. Mm -hmm. Does that feel like an expression of pure love? So... The answer to your question is, we train our mind to ask that question of ourselves with regard to anything that we're seeing out there in the world at large. Does this feel like an expression of pure love? If the answer is yes, support it and express it with all your might and all the glory of who you are. If it doesn't, if it doesn't feel like pure love, then maybe you may wanna step back from it a little bit, choose your words differently, choose a different course of action, change your behavior, and have a different response as well to the behavior of others. That does not mean that we should approve of the behavior of others in every instance because we want to love them purely, but it does mean that we give ourselves permission to do what we've been advised to do by all the great spiritual masters of all the years that have gone by. Love, love, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And be kind to those who would be unkind to you. Wow. Hey, how about that? The golden rule. Isn't that interesting? I wonder why we don't use the golden rule as our gold standard, as a standard for our behavior. Because we don't think that God does. God doesn't treat us the way we want to be treated. No. God says, sorry, if you don't go to Mass on Sunday and you get hit by a car on Monday and should happen to die, you're going to go to hell. That's the teaching. I didn't make that up. That's the teaching. The Catholic Church. I know. The I'm Catholic, Catholic Church. Also. <laughs> I ate meat on Friday. I'm going to hell. Well, let me follow up with that, Neil, because one of the things I like to do on the show is really be an advocate for our listeners and ask the questions. If, you know, if I was driving around in the car and I was listening to this, I'd say, well, what about, you know, you say in the book that um, God doesn't participate in, uh, he doesn't judge. So there's no reward system. And a lot of people have been trained that, okay, you live a good life and then you get your ticket and then you go to heaven. And if you are bad, then you go to hell. And um, your perspective well, purgatory, is, or if you purgatory. eat meat on Friday, if you eat, just, just, just for the record, <laughs> right. if you eat, if I was a priest, so we, I'd say, that's no, a venial no, no, Robert, sin, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Nobody said you go to hell if you eat meat on Fridays. You go to purgatory. Right. And right. I, I once asked a priest, I said, okay, fair enough. What's purgatory? <laughs> And the priest said, well, it's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a suburb of heaven and hell. And it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's like hell. It's like hell, but it's not forever. You can get out of purgatory. It's, it's, it's like hell, but it's not forever. I remember thinking, I've had a couple of marriages like that. <laughs> well, where, where I was going with this is that it's for, it's, 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 sometimes it's difficult for people to wrestle with the fact that, you know, they kind of want uh, God to be the judge to say, you were good and you were bad. And like, what happens to Hitler when he dies? Doesn't he get punished? And people feel a comfort in, I was a good boy, so I'm going to get something for that. I'm going to get cookies for that or whatever it is. But just in, in life itself, uh, how, do we, how do we account for uh, God not being judgmental 
and also um, how do we account for karma and count for prayer if God is not participating and God is not? Well, let me give you an example of, of, of how it really works in the universe, and then I think that will answer your question. Okay. Let's imagine that you're a grandpa, and grandpa is sitting at the table, and it's his granddaughter's third birthday party. So mommy has got the table all decked out. She's invited all the children from the neighborhood in, and their parents are there as well. A lovely birthday party for your three-year-old granddaughter. And you're sitting next to your three-year-old granddaughter, and mommy pours milk for everybody, a little glass of milk for all the children around the table. Then she brings out a cake. She brings out the cake, and it's, it's, it's your granddaughter's favorite cake. And she's excited, oh, my gosh, chocolate cake, my favorite cake, my favorite cake. She reaches for the cake and knocks over her glass of milk which knocks over the next glass of milk, which knocks over the next glass of milk. And before we know it, the table is awash with milk. And as the grandfather, you're sitting there watching this happen, and you say to your three-year-old granddaughter, what's the matter with you? You should know better. You should know better. You should go to your room and don't come out for the next 16 years. I'll teach you to act that way. You're lucky if I ever let you out. Isn't that what your grandpa would do? No, of course not. Grandpa would say to the child, it's okay, sweetheart. I forgive you. Really? The grandfather wouldn't even say that. Because grandpa knows forgiveness has got nothing to do with the moment. You know what grandpa would do when the entire birthday party has been ruined? And the child is crying at the mistake she made? Grandpa would take that child in his arms and say, there, there. It'll be all right. I love you. I love you forever. And nothing you can do can make me stop loving you. You know what? I want to believe that God is at least as nice as my grandpa. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think so. How about uh, prayer then? Um, if God is kind of uh, experiencing itself through us, is there power in prayer? Is, uh, uh, can we work with our angels and guides? Or is, if God is just energy, our- Not uh, just energy. Or, or energy <laughs> is, is, ener is everything, basically. Yeah, if God is just energy, if, if yeah. God is all there is. Okay. The sum total of all the energy in the cosmos is what God is. And you are part of that, but you're not separate from it. And you're not other than, you're like a wave is to the ocean. Mm -hmm. So let's let's imagine the ocean, and in the middle of the Atlantic, a wave arises. Is the wave something other than the ocean? No. Is the wave separate from the ocean? No. Is the wave a singular expression of the ocean? Yes. And when that beautiful, powerful, wonderful expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean. That's exactly correct. And so... Is it, is, would it be appropriate to extend the metaphor a little bit illogically, but if the wave had a level of consciousness, could it look over its shoulder and ask the ocean to give it more power or allow it to arise again in a different way or to supply it with something that it would like from the ocean? Of course it could, and we can too. The fact that we are part of God and that God resides within us as part of us does not mean that we cannot call out to the larger aspect of all reality that we call divinity and say, God in me and God in everything, bring me now what I most need and most desire in my life, if it will serve the agenda of my soul. Or my favorite prayer, 
my middle of the night prayer that I love so much that I've used in my life. Thank you, God, for helping me to understand that this problem has already been solved for me. I just don't see the solution. But I see now that the solution is coming to me. All the information I need is coming to me now. So who are we praying to? And is there a point to prayer? Of course there is. Because when we pray, we're calling upon that part of the ocean which is within us as the individual wave. And we are invited by the ocean. Hey, go out there and make waves. So when people pray, they can really actually, I always say that people have a lot more power than they think they do. And we can actually, you know, use affirmations, if you will, as commands and really call upon the divinity. First of all, recognize the divinity in everybody and everything, and then call upon the divinity in ourselves to make the things we want to have happen, happen, which is, you know, that magic word that everybody uses nowadays is manifesting and everybody has a different idea. What's the best way to do that? What's your perspective on manifesting neil well i do think we should make in a sense demands it's it's or uh it's it's kind of a harsh word to use right because people don't see us as commanding god but in fact the great teachers have told us don't ask god for things call forth the outcome you want give us this day our daily bread right the, the, the statement was not god didn't teach us jesus didn't teach us how to pray by saying please god could i please have my daily bread today Oh, notice that the statement is a direct order. It's a direct order. Give us this day our daily bread and free us from temptation and forgive us our trespasses. You know, it's, it's it, it, direct statements. So my answer to your question is there's great power in metaphysics. The second half of the book, The God Solution, talks about that exactly. The last four chapters uh, explain how we can apply metaphysical power, the, the, the higher power that we're all talking about, how we can take that higher power and use it directly, not in an arrogant way, but, but in a way that allows us to do what God has invited us to do. You know, God says, use me, use me. I, I am the higher power. I'm a higher power because I exist in you, but I exist in everything else as well. So imagine you times a gazillion and take that power and for heaven's sake, I mean, literally for heaven's sake, use it, use that power. And there are specific ways that you can do that. And one of the specific ways is to use what you would call in your current vocabulary, declarations or affirmations. Here's a wonderful example. All the money I need is coming to me now. All the money I need is coming to me now. It's a great affirmation. I like that one. <laughs> and it's a confirmation. But you know what? I love the words. All the money I yeah. need is coming right. to me now. And you know, and by the way, that's always been true. That's been true for everybody within the sound of my voice in this minute. That statement I just made has been true for everybody within the sound of my voice right now. The proof of it is that there are within the sound of my voice right now. In other words, you're still here. So clearly everything you've needed to be here has been given to you. You simply haven't understood it because you've decided, well, Neil, yeah, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I could certainly use more, which is an interesting attitude when you are living on this planet in a place where you could experience all the joy and wonder and happiness in right. life that life could possibly afford to give you.
Hey, Neil Donald Walsh, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. The new book is The God Solution. I read it. It's terrific. It's short, concise, and to the point, and it's really, it makes you think and feel, and hopefully help help you act also. Uh, something you quote in the book is, do unto others as they would have it done unto them, from Milton Bennett, the platinum rule. I think this is so important because the one one area we didn't touch on is processing all of this how do we interact with other people i know we want to go through that filter of of pure love what would pure love do here but also i think from a practicality standpoint people need to look at other people and say well what would i do with this person based on uh what would they want have done to them yeah yeah milton bennett was wonderful he took the golden rule and upshifted it one whole uh, level he said, you know, we all know platinum is actually more valuable than gold. So let's take the gold standard or uh, and, and get it out of there. It, it, it's it's let's, let's have not the golden rule, but the platinum rule. Do unto others as they would have it done unto them. And and I try to, to remember that, that platinum rule that Milton Bennett came up with. Whenever I interact with anybody about anything, how would, what do I think that they would like from me in this moment? Can I really do unto others what they would like to have done unto them without, without now, without stepping out of my integrity, without violating my sense of who I am, without causing me to approve of or condone some kind of illegal act or something I couldn't possibly agree with, but assuming that what they would like to have done to them falls within the standards that I've set for myself and my understanding of who I really am, can I allow myself to do that? And it happens, you know, my friend Robert, in small ways, the way you interact with, with the clerk at the post office, the, the way you respond, in fact, to the man on the street who's putting his hand out and saying, would you have a dime or a quarter or a half dollar or anything you can spare for me today? You know, what was your reaction the last time you drove up to an exit on the, on the, off the freeway ramp and you saw a man standing there with a cardboard sign? Anything helps. Do you roll your window down and say, here, here, pal, here's a fiver or here's a one, here's a little bit of help, or do you just look at him and just drive right by? I mean, you know what? Excuse me. I carry a bunch of $1 bills in, 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 the, in the little compartment between the seats of my car. And when I, when I see somebody on the sidewalk or on, in one of those places where I can get to them easily, I, I roll up, roll the window down, and grab four or five of those and say, hey, buddy, I wish it could be more, but this is what I got right now do it. And the guy looks at you like he can't believe it. This guy actually gave me five or six dollars. You could take you an entire day to collect that kind of money when you're on the street. But do unto others as they would have it done unto them is an extraordinary opportunity for us to demonstrate who we imagine ourselves to be. There's only one question in every moment of life that we're answering with every decision and choice that we make. And the question is this, who am I? Who am I and who do I choose to be? You talk about the difference between forgiveness and understanding. And a lot of people look for forgiveness but, uh, and, and don't dole it out as much. But it's really more about understanding. Could you articulate that a little well, bit Well, forgiveness is the, I, I, I make the point, and it was made to me in conversations with God, that forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth which is a hard thing for people to hear because we've been right. taught just the opposite. But in fact, and forgiveness is a good tool. It's a nice beginning tool when you're first stepping off on the spiritual path, if you please. But later on, we realize that God doesn't forgive us for anything. 
So because God can't be hurt, damaged, destroyed, upset, angered, or frustrated in any way for the simple reason that God needs nothing from us, demands nothing from us. When we understand that, then we understand that if we choose to use our life as a demonstration of our true identity, as a demonstration of divinity, then we too would need to forgive no one else for anything because at a spiritual level, if we are in fact spiritual entities at our core, at our basis, we can't be hurt, injured, angered, frustrated, annoyed, or damaged in any way either. The body can be, yep. Your mind can be, yep. But your soul cannot be. So when we come from the place that I call your Holy Spirit, when we come from the soul, we then understand that forgiveness is not necessary because no one can injure us at that level. But what we can do is understand how a person could act the way they acted. You know what's interesting, Robert? No one has ever done anything to me in my life that I haven't done to somebody else in their life at some level. Maybe not at the same level, maybe not in exactly the same way, but I too have engaged in, you know, anger, frustration, you know, small verbal violences, lack of compassion. You know, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've abandoned people in my life. I've been disloyal to people. And when I get those energies coming toward me, my opportunity is to go, wait a minute, have I ever acted even a little bit like this in my life? And if the answer is yes, and it will inevitably be yes, then I can say to myself, wait a minute, now I can understand. I don't agree with, I don't condone it, but I can understand how that person could be acting the way they're now acting. And so God said to me, Neil, understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. How about um, just a couple more questions. Um, gratitude. If forgiveness is not necessary, why is gratitude uh, so important? It's not necessary either, but it is important because it's an energetic. It's a particular form of the energy that we are, that we project out into the world and into whatever person, place, experience, or circumstance we are encountering. And that energetic, as does all energy, carries a vibration. Energy is an experience, by the way. It's a phenomena, if you please, an element of life that affects itself like uh, like water could affect itself. Boiling hot water poured into ice cold water will create a third kind of water in between. So you got this item, this item here, boiling hot water, ice cold water, and you mix the two together and they create a third element that's neither this nor that, as my father used to say, it's neither here nor there. So there you are, there you have it. So now gratitude is an energy that affects energy, the energy of whatever's going on over here. And gratitude is an energy that's coming from you over here, and it creates a third experience, altogether different from the, either this or that. It's neither this nor that. It's a third particular expression of energy. It is therefore possible to use the powerful energy of gratitude to impact the powerful energy of some event or circumstance or situation that's not going well with you and to create a third particular experience. One real fast example, when I had my open heart surgery, I recall being wheeled into the operating suite. I'm on the gurney. I can hear the little wheels, you know, wiggling along. And I realized in a couple of minutes, they're going to say, you know, count backward from 10 and I'm going to be out of here. But I remember thinking as I was on that gurney going into that operating suite, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because this can only turn out one of two ways. 
I'm either going to die on that operating table. Not very many people die from open heart surgery anymore, but a few do. The doctor told me, you know, there's a high risk here. You could not come out of here alive. This isn't a tonsillectomy. We're not fixing a broken arm here. We're going to cut you wide open and stop your heart for three hours and do open heart surgery. You could not survive this operation. So I'm lying there on the gurney thinking, thank you, God, because either I'm not going to come out of here alive and I'll go home to you, or I am going to come out of here alive and I can be with you in the way I am now. Either way, I win. Oh, beautiful. And a great way to close our conversation for now. And I have like so many other questions. I had like 50 questions I wrote down, but let me just uh, toss out one more uh, kind of quote from the book where you say, God is a self-conscious energy that is aware of itself. Is that a good way for us to, to look at God? I think it's a better way than we have been looking at God over the past several thousand years. Yes. I think if we think that God is a, a separate energy that I call a feeling that I refer to as pure love, that that is what God is. God is not some judgmental character up there in the sky with long, you know, flowing white hair and a white beard who looks suspiciously like me and is going to judge you and condemn you uh, and, and, and punish you. But if we think of God as simply an energy, a self-conscious energy, aware of itself, totally clear of what it is, but a self-conscious energy that doesn't have any particular form. It's like, uh, I call God the stem cell of the universe. Stem cells are cells that have not identified in a particular way until they decide to become the cell of your lung or the cell of your heart or the cell of your mind or the cell of your hand. So, but, so God is the stem cell of the universe that is the not yet totally formed physicalization of life itself. And what is God waiting for in order to form itself in any particular way? Instructions from us. Fantastic. Neil Donald Walsh, my very special guest on Guys Guys Radio. I hope we can do it again because I learned so much. Hopefully our audience has learned and our listeners have learned as much as I'm learning right now. And it's always a pleasure speaking with you because you're a true gentleman. You're a guy's guy. You're a spiritual messenger and a, a fantastic author. So thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. And where can uh, folks follow up and find out more about you and your website and get your books, et cetera? They can just go to CWG, which of course stands for Conversations with God. My website is cwgconnect.com. There is where you can connect with me and connect with the energy of this message. Thank you so much, Neil. I uh, really appreciate your being here. You're very kind. It was Mendes, lovely to be here the with guys, you. Thank guys, you Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, what a very special conversation with one of the world's foremost spiritual authors and uh, messengers, Neil Donald Walsh. The new book, again, is The God's Solution, and it's all about love and seeing God as pure love and seeing everything. If God is everything, then everything is made up of pure love. And Neil suggests to us, and this is really what I took away from the book, is that if we could begin to 
see life through the lens of what would love do in this situation we'll have a, a way better world in a reasonable amount of time because it's all about the love and it's so easy to point fingers and it's so easy to get angry and so easy to have so much divisiveness as we're experiencing now but if we just took that extra step and say hey what would pure love do in this situation maybe things could simmer down a bit and people could start cutting each other some breaks and some slack and maybe we could make this world a much better place than it is right now. So Neil Donald Walsh, our special guest on Guys Guys Radio. As you know, the show Guys Guys Radio, we're here on KCAA in Southern California every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The show rebroadcasts on KCAA every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. The podcast worldwide and my YouTube both launch on Thursday. The podcast is on about 26, 27 platforms. We just got picked up by Pandora, so you can listen in your car to that one. And also the YouTube is, uh, is up and running, and we feature the interviews on the YouTube, and we feature the entire show on the podcast and on KCAA. So I hope you'll uh, check it out and stick with us because we've got a lot more fantastic guests coming to you on Guys Guys Radio. That was our 445th show. We've got lots more planned. I think you're going to really be pleased with what we do on the show in 2021 and beyond, of course. Uh, my website is robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I dot com. There you can download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, and you can pick up the book on Amazon or any of the e-tailers, or if you go out to the bookstore still, you might be able to find it there. But The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, it's about two men in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It features some savvy women, some flawed guys, but it's about love and friendship and redemption and revenge, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City, and it's the source material for everything I've been doing uh, that's Guy's Guy's Focused. Also on the website, there's 300 to 350, I lost track how many, but it's over 300 blog posts, everything about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, so you can read up on wellness and fitness and love and relationships and dating and sex and jobs and holidays and girlfriends and boyfriends and all kinds of stuff on there on my website, robertmanny.com. I'm all over the social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., so catch up with me there. And we're here again every Wednesday evening on KCAA. So that's our show. Uh, it's really wonderful being here with you. I'm very appreciative of all my listeners and all my guests. We're going to do it again next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>